All right, we're going to get into the sermon tonight uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, uh, I want to start with um, my kids. I've got three kids, uh, 15, 13, well, it should be 13 on Saturday. So for those of you at the winter retreat, I won't see you that morning because I'm going home to celebrate her birthday, but I'll be back. Uh, and then I've got a 10-year-old. And, and I, I've said I love you to my kids for their entire lives, of course. And, and one thing that's interesting to me as it relates to this sermon tonight and to our passage of Scripture is that my kids have never asked what love is, ever, or even what it means, they ask me all kinds of things. Like, when they hear words they don't understand, they ask. Like, Dad, what does incorrigible mean? Because I might use that with them. Um, what does preposterous mean or something, right? They'll never ask what love means. They never have. And I, I don't think that's rare. I think probably most of us assume we know uh, what, what love means, probably, until we really examine it, I guess. I know I've questioned in my life whether or not uh, people have loved me at times, right? Like, I've wondered if my dad or my mom really loved me, or in romance, I've been like, does she really love me? You know, kind of thing. If my friends really love me. I, I, what's more harrowing is probably the flip. When I've asked, do I really love someone else? Do I really love her? Do I really love him? Do I love them? But it never really occurred to me to ask what love actually is. Only whether or not somebody had it or, or did it or felt it or expressed it. And so when I discovered that the authors of the New Testament took pains to articulate what love is, I was arrested. Love is defined as if maybe like our assumptions about love are wrong. Love is explained as if we could potentially not recognize love or worse, mistake something that isn't love for love. Friends, tonight I want you to know what love is so that you would recognize it in others, so that you would recognize it in yourself. Above all, that you would recognize it in Jesus and not follow after false lovers. So that you do not harm people in the name of love, but rather grow in love. Father, send your spirit right now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. 1 Corinthians 13 is a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a town called Corinth. To address a number of questions that they had for him, you can read, if you read 1 Corinthians, he says, now concerning this thing that you wrote, now concerning this thing that you wrote, he, he's responding to a letter that they wrote to him. And, and he's answering their questions, and, and because of some reports that he heard, he's eminently, like preeminently throughout the whole letter, he's concerned about unity in this, in this church, this, the Christians in this region. He's so concerned about unity. It's one of the most important things for a, a community of Christians is that they fight for unity. And it will require a fight. His church was full of division, Corinth. It was full of envy and status gains. Think cliques, tribes and group of, groups of people, like each thinking that they're better or more right than each other. And as Paul, sort of throughout the letter, disarms all these various causes of division, he moves toward this crescendo, this great love poem which we call 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13. 
It's what Paul calls a more excellent way to do life together. Friends, 1 Corinthians 13 is worth storing in your heart and in your mind for your life. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Casey, would you put up that first thing? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm sure there's some kind of personality tendency that's attached to each one of these categories. Like rhetoric, telling stories, speaking well, I don't know, humor maybe, insight and knowledge, just having faith, being incredibly generous, or maybe sacrifice. Like I do hard things, I sacrifice myself. Each of these represents some way to have tremendous influence in the world and and potentially many of us think these are the things God is asking of us. Each of these are good things. They're great things to do, to be, to offer in this world. But without love, divorced from love, it's just noise. Without love, I am nothing and I gain nothing, Paul says. And he's not alone in this kind of language. Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on love. So for example, if you're looking at this and you're like, look, listen, I realize that it rhetorically works, but it's a little strong to say none of this, this means nothing. You might disagree with him, but Jesus, I think, even takes it further than him when he says literally all of the law and the prophets depend on love, all of them. In Romans, another letter to the Roman church, which Paul wrote probably later than this, he says that love is the fulfillment of the law. In this very chapter later, Paul would say, love is greater than even faith and hope. It is impossible to make too big of a deal out of love. It is impossible. And so right here, after Paul says these things, He slows way down and he thinks that he needs to define love. Because maybe potentially somebody could say, oh man, I totally, if I don't have love, I'm nothing, but thank God, I do love people, you know? Like, I love God, I love people. Maybe he's worried, I don't know, that somebody is going to assume that they love because they do these things. But do you know that every single one of these things could be motivated by something other than love? And if love is so important that all the good things you could do in the world don't matter without love, then it's wildly important that we know what love is. So would you turn that, put that second list up? I want you to just take a look at this list for a minute, okay? This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through about 8. This is what love is, Paul says. Love is patient. Love is patient. So when I am impatient with my kids, 
Am I loving them in that moment? No. Not if love is patient. You might say, well, Jason, there's times when urgency is required, though. I agree. But then we wouldn't call it impatience. We would just call it urgent, right? Love is patient. And think of the implications of this, just this one word. If love is patient and God is loving, then what does that mean God is like toward you? God is patient with you. Do you know that? Do you know God is patient with you? If love is patient, then when you are impatient with someone, you are not loving them. If love is patient, then even if someone says they love you, but they're impatient with you, it is not in that moment loving. And if you find that you are generally an impatient person, then there is room for love to grow in your life because love is patient. Love is kind. And if I am unkind with my kids or my spouse or my coworkers or my friends or with you, I am in that moment not loving you. If someone ever says to you, I'm only saying this because I love you, if whatever follows that preface is unkind, then what they are saying is not loving. You might say, well, sometimes we have to say hard things that hurt. I agree. Sometimes hard things need to be said, but they don't have to be unkind. Because love is kind. And if you say, well, that sounds difficult, I go, welcome to love, friends. We might say, oh, I love your jacket. When what we really mean is, I wish your jacket were mine. And when that happens, we begin to confuse what love means because love doesn't envy. If you want to grow, and and friends, for some of you, take this home. If you want to grow in intimacy with your friends, you must root out all of the ways that you envy them. Because envy is opposed to love. You see, when love is broken down kind of like this and seen for what it is, it's so much harder to just flippantly say we love each other. How can I say I love you and continue to be irritable with you? How can I, say, how can I re, um, love you and refuse to believe you anymore? Because love believes all things. And perhaps you might say, well, there are times it's reasonable not to believe someone anymore. I agree. Because they've lied so many times or because of a history of betrayal, fine. But don't call giving up on somebody love when love never gives up. Call it reason if you want, but if you love them, you will at times be foolish in the eyes of the world and believe them, not because they've earned it, but because you love them. Love covers, love hopes, and believes and endures. When it's not vague, When we don't get to define love however we want, but it stands clear and tall and we all must answer for how we embody it, it is arresting and it holds us to account. This is a wild deal for us in our cultural moment, I know, because with phrases like your truth and my truth, 
We're buzzing on this idea that we just get to define things however we want. But imagine for a minute, which just stick with me for a minute, if someone can literally treat you however they want and call it love because that's how they define it. Do you see how damaging that could be? Or how damaging it is when you and I think we're loving people but we're not. Or worse, when we begin to have no idea what it means that God loves us. We can have, it is there for us to have peace and confidence when our idea of love is mapped onto the real thing. But when it's confused, our peace and our confidence are stolen from us. So often, for example, we confuse hunger for love. Hunger for love. When we want something or someone, when our desire for a thing is strong, when it looks appealing and we have some kind of positive regard for it, whether it's food or friends or fling, we tend to confuse our appetites for our affection. We confuse love with the desire to consume. What a dangerous practice that is. All too often, friends, we do this with sexual intimacy. This is a hard thing to say, but I'm going to try to be kind. Sex isn't love. And it is never love to have sex outside of the covenant of marriage. I understand if that's hard to hear. I've had sex outside of marriage. I was told in middle school that if I love someone, I will just have sex with them. That's normal. I've dated people who told me that if I loved them, we would have sex. In our culture, we sometimes even call sex making love. If the confusion happens for a reason, I totally understand that it does. Your desire to have sex with someone you love romantically is normal and good. But if you love someone, meaning you are patient and you look out for their interest above yours and you're willing to endure all things for them if you love someone, then you will be willing to resist satisfying your appetites whether that's for sexual pleasure or for security. Because you know that sexual intimacy is going to make this person vulnerable to you without some kind of lifelong commitment to staying with them no matter what. And you, as an act of love, don't want to try someone on who isn't yours, you know? I don't know, potentially it's confusing because you think, well, I intend to marry them. Get on with it then. Let your intentions lead to action. Be true to your word. Let your yes be yes. Until then, this other person doesn't belong to you. Their body doesn't belong to you. You don't get to define and decide what love is and treat them however you want and just call it love because you feel a lot. I know this is so hard in our culture. And, and think of the context we live in, friends. Not only do we sell sex and trump up our hungers and, and teach each other that it's some kind of injustice when we don't have something we want, which we do. But we have so much privacy and loneliness. We have like hidden lives. A friend of mine says quite clearly, we just live in a digital brothel today. It's so difficult to be chased right now, I know. That word probably even sounds foreign. Now friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You cannot outsin His forgiveness nor outrun His grace. I'm not telling you this tonight to make you feel ashamed or guilty. I am saying it is not going to be helpful for you to think that you're loving someone by having sex with them outside of marriage. 
If you want to love someone, marry them. Give your entire life to them. Outdo them in honor and, and promise that everything you have is theirs and say, I will forsake everybody else on earth forever for you. Make it public, swear before God and then their communities and then have all the sex you want. For in that context, sex becomes a school of love. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 7, for example. I'm not saying this stuff to you to make you feel ashamed. I'm saying it's, I don't want us to confuse hunger and desire and strong feelings for love. Where do you see hunger and desire and strong feelings on here? Love is patient. Even when I don't want to be patient. Love is still patient. It doesn't change when I don't want to be patient. Here's why this matters. You don't just get to treat someone however you want and say you love them. That's not love. And someone shouldn't just get to treat you however they want and call it love. That has happened to many of us in this room. The point isn't just don't have sex. The point is be patient and kind. Don't be rude and irritable. Rejoice in truth. Cover for each other. Believe and and hope and endure and never give up. Love like that. I don't just get to say I'm only doing this because I love you and then do whatever I want. I'm called and commanded to love according to what love actually is. And you, Christians, are called to love one another according to what love actually is. Who love actually is. You might feel in love with someone, but that doesn't give you license to follow your desires as if they're God and treat them however you want. Alternatively, You might not feel in love with someone, and that doesn't give you license to follow your desires like God and treat them however you want. It may be helpful to remember that we are are, um, not commanded to feel in love with God and neighbor. We are commanded to love God and neighbor. And love, however we want to define it, Sorry, and love, not however we want to define it, but love as it is embodied in Jesus, articulated in Scripture, and lived out in history. We who are Christians are called to love as Jesus loves, knowing that all of us are only liberated to love by experiencing it from God first. By coming to know and trust that Jesus is kind and patient, that God isn't irritable, that God doesn't insist on His own way. Please come chat with me about that one. That is a fun one. Do you know that God doesn't insist on His own way? That God Himself covers all things, believes all things, and hopes all things for you. Do you know that? Do you know that God isn't irritated with you? That He's patient with you? And that it's His kindness which leads us to life change, to repentance. As Christians, our business toward our neighbors is not to command them to love. Whether that's in person or on TikTok or in some other fashion, our business is not to command our neighbors to love. Our business is love. We go out and love that the world might see the love of God in us. And not, not just love in talk, love in action. 
You see, I could speak well of Jesus. I could have, to to think about those first phrases, I could have all the theological answers, I could have all faith, I'd be generous and sacrificial, but if I don't actually love my wife like this, do you know what all that other stuff means to her and to my kids and to our friends? Nothing. I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging religious symbol. And the same is true with my life for you and for others. Without love, it amounts to nothing. We are called to love in word and deed in all we say and do. Love which looks like what you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love which looks like hoping and believing and enduring and never giving up. Love which looks like forgiving as we have been forgiven. Love which looks like going first. Love which looks like Jesus. As we do this, As we attempt this, God promises that His Spirit abides in us, perfecting His love in us, and making us people who love more and more like Jesus loves. Casey, will you put 1 John 4 back up? I just want you guys to see this in the verse again in case you missed it. So here at the bottom, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. uh, It's above that. Here we go. Um, Is that right? Is it go farther or no? Is that it? Maybe it goes farther. Does somebody, um, I'll read the Bible later. Actually, ooh, right after what I'm praying, I'm going to pull it out for you guys. Okay, great, it goes farther than this. Okay, John actually articulates this, that if we love God, his spirit abides in us, God abides in us, and perfects his love in us. It's amazing what God promises to do as we attempt this. We can take baby steps in this is kind of the point. God is patient, remember? He promises to help and grow us as lovers with love that looks like Jesus. And love which looks like Jesus is what I hope you see in our leaders here if we spend time with you and interact with you. It's what I hope you grow to offer to the people around you and to the next generations after you. I hope that when other people see you guys, you gathered here at a Christian worship service on a public university campus, People in the world are looking at you to understand what Christians look like and what the love of God is like according to what we believe. And my hope is that they see love that looks like that in you. Friends, this is what truth sounds like. Let we who have seen the love of God in the face of Jesus love others like he loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, send your spirit now. Uh, to help us believe that you love us the way that you do and to invite us and equip us and give us the courage we need to love others you've empo- like the way you've empowered us to do. In the next couple of minutes, would you um, loosen thoughts and questions and responses and Um, cover this room with a spirit of encouragement and vulnerability. I pray for a spirit of kindness and patience and not insisting on our own way uh, as as we share and talk and pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.